0: This is Guns and Butter.
1: There's
2: so my point here is, we have got very good evidence that in 2003, these tapes did not exist in their present form. And all these things that... Uh, Larry Arnold and Colonel Scott and others are now being chastised for and even accused of lying about. They, we were told, listened to the tapes and, uh, and then came in and told a story that could have been contradicted by the tape.
0: I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Dr. David Ray Griffin. Today's show: The NORAD audio tapes, real or faked? David Ray Griffin is an author and theologian. His most recent article, 9-11 Live or Fabricated? Do the NORAD Tapes Verify the 9-11 Commission Report? was written primarily in response to an article published in the September 2006 edition of Vanity Fair magazine by Michael Bronner, 9-11 Live, the NORAD Tapes. In this Vanity Fair piece, Bronner makes the incredible claim that needs... The Northeast Air Defense Sector of NORAD, the North American Aerospace Defense Command, was not notified by the Federal Aviation Administration about the four hijackings on September 11th in time to scramble jets to intercept them. Griffin deconstructs this preposterous argument and takes a close look at these tapes. David Ray Griffin, welcome.
2: Glad to be with you, Bonnie.
0: In a flurry of recent mainstream publications, the Kane Hamilton book, for instance, Without Precedent, the inside story of the 9-11 Commission, also an article in the September edition of Vanity Fair by Michael Brauner called 9-11 Live, the NORAD Tapes, also a New York Times editorial, and of course, as well as the 9-11 Commission report itself, the claim is made that initial statements by the U.S. military after September 11th, as well as the military's initial testimony before the 9-11 Commission in 2003, was false, that the military was lying. Why would there be a coordinated attempt in the mainstream press to show that the military was lying in their original testimony?
2: Well, this is a very interesting uh, development, It was already implicit in the uh, 9-11 Commission report, which, of course, I wrote an entire book about called uh, the 9-11 Commission, Omissions and Distortions. And in that report, what is going on is that uh, the military is developing yet a third answer (laughs) to the question of how they responded on 9-11. The first answer was, uh, given by General Myers and also by uh, Mike Snyder, a spokesman for NORAD, was that the military didn't send any planes up until after the Pentagon was struck. So that means far more than an hour went by after the first signs of trouble with the first plane before the military scrambled planes, whereas the normal procedure is that uh, when there are signs of trouble, there are two jets on a plane's tail within uh, 10 to 15 minutes. So uh, that first story (laughs) caused a lot of problems and was quickly replaced by the second story, which was that, uh, yes, indeed, we did send up uh, fighters, but, you know, the FAA was so slow in notifying us that uh, we couldn't get there in time. And that's why the planes uh, hit the buildings. Then a lot of 9-11 truth researchers did the math and uh, said, look, even if the FAA was as irresponsibly slow as the military says it was in its official report it put out in uh, September 18, 2001, just one week after 9-11, even if the FAA had been that slow, you, the military, still had time, certainly with regard to the second flight, the one that uh, was said to have hit the South Tower, and certainly with regard to the Flight 77 that was said to have hit the Pentagon. So what was going on? Was there a stand-down order? Was there a slow-down order? Uh, why didn't you respond as quickly as uh, your, your own documents say you can? So, that was the background. The military had told a second story, and even it didn't hold up to scrutiny. The 9-11 Commission then produces a third (laughs) story. The third story is that um, with regard to flight, the, the latter three flights, 175, 77, and 93, the one that is said to have crashed in Pennsylvania, The FAA didn't ever notify the military until after the planes had crashed. And so the news story is, here's why we didn't respond, (laughs) because we didn't know, Uh, because the FAA never told us. And a couple times when they did report planes, they made a mistake. Uh, So we did scramble planes to go after a flight, but uh, that was Phantom Flight 11. They told us that... Flight 11 didn't really hit the World Trade Center. It was still up and head towards Washington, so we scrambled these planes. and Then, uh, likewise, they were told uh, that Flight 93 was still up even after it had crashed, and they did start to scramble planes to go after it. So that's the new story. Well, that entails that the second story had to be false so that was the story the military had told so this is this is huge because it means what had passed for the official story from september two thousand and one until the nine eleven commission meeting in two thousand and four almost three full years that story was false, and that means that the military guys larry arnold and colonel scott particularly who came in and talked to the commission in uh... two thousand and three may of two thousand and three and told the the standard norad timeline story that everything they said was wrong was incorrect so in the nine eleven commission they don't get into the question did you lie were you confused the commission just says those statements were incorrect because the commission says We've got these tapes. Listen to these tapes. These tapes show you that you didn't hear about Flight 175 until after it crashed. You didn't hear about Flight 77 until after it crashed. You didn't hear about 93 till after it crashed. And what you did hear about was Phantom Flight 11, and you sent those fighters from Langley after it, those fighters that everybody agrees were scrambled at 924, they weren't scrambled in, in response to word about Flight 77. They responded. So that's the new story. So, as a necessary part of getting the new story, which entirely absolves the military, it's necessary to say, well, the military told us some things that weren't true. Now, the, the new development is, and this was what goes beyond the 9 11 Commission report the members of the commission are now speculating out loud and uh, including kane and hamilton in their book without precedent that uh they can't see how these military guys could have been confused you know how could they've been confused one week after 911 and particularly when they went back and reviewed these tapes that were played to the commission in 2004 they listened to those tapes back in 2003 they couldn't have been confused They must have been lying. Well, why? (laughs) So that's the new story, and that's what's gotten the attention. And a lot of people have misinterpreted this and said, look, now the commission's getting tough, and they're really hitting the military. But, you know, it's all smoke and mirrors. This is the military's new story, which the military is using the 9-11 commission to tell and going through all these games of saying, well, you pulled us out of pulled us out of it. You subpoenaed our NORAD files, and you learned that we lied. Well, we didn't really. They didn't really lie. They were just confused, and so that's what's going on.
0: And David, if the military lied in its initial statements and testimony, and that that initial testimony made it look guilty of a stand down on September 11th. Why would the military lie to make itself look guilty? Isn't this a logical contradiction?
2: Yeah, this is the absurdity of the new story, which nobody in the public has uh, questioned. Now, I've written an entire article on this in response to Bronner's article, primarily in the Vanity Fair. I uh, did submit it <laughs> to Vanity Fair. I've written such an article and asked them if they would be interested. That's over a week ago, and I've heard no answer from them. But uh, this is one of the, the big points, which is that uh, the lie that uh, General Arnold and uh, Colonel Scott and uh, Colonel uh, Robert Marr are accused of is completely a completely irrational lie because you know what they say is, well, they, they're embarrassed about being confused, and so they lied to cover up their confusion. But as you say, the earlier story had led many people in the 9-11 Truth Movement to conclude the military deliberately stood down their defenses, and that would mean they were guilty of very high crimes, treason, murder, you know. And so the punishment, if convicted for such crimes, would be very severe, whereas what they're confessing to now is, oh, we were confused. Well, there is no punishment for being confused. Now, there should be. You know, people should be dismissed if they're that terribly confused. But <laughs> certainly with the Bush administration, nobody ever gets dismissed for uh, incompetence. So, this is a classic example of whenever you, you have to choose between being guilty of a crime, being thought guilty of a crime, or merely being thought guilty of incompetence people will choose incompetence every time, particularly if it's a huge crime that would make them subject to prison or even the death penalty. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, completely irrational. And, you know, we've had stories, this editorial in the New York Times, you mentioned Philip Shenon in the New York Times published a story about this. And they all report uh, all the military evidently lied to cover up its confusion. But when you look closely at the story, it's not their confusion. It was the FAA's confusion. That's the new story portrayed by the the 9-11 Commission and the uh, military now in terms of these tapes, is that uh, 16 or 17 times that day, the FAA was just horribly you know, amazingly, unbelievably incompetent with a job that they do day in, day out. They order planes to be scrambled over 100 times a year. It's a routine thing. And suddenly on 9-11, nobody could get it right, from the flight controllers to their managers to the people in Herndon, Virginia, and the people at FAA headquarters in Washington. Everybody screwed up. Nobody could manage to call the military. So, that part of the story is also just intrinsically incredible. And of course, the FAA has just had to take the fall. But to get back to the main point, it's the FAA that is pictured as terribly confused and incompetent. The military is not. You know, they did screw up a couple things, they sent the planes out to sea instead of uh, to Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> and you know they couldn't they couldn't find the blips on their own screens and you know that's nonsense too and i've discussed that in my book but um those are kind of incidental to the story the main point is that uh, the military couldn't respond because it simply didn't know because it is allegedly blind all by itself it's you know uh, Poverty struck and doesn't have any good radar. so <laughs> You know, all this is so ridiculous. And uh, so it has to rely uh, on the FAA for radar and to know about where the planes are. And since the FAA didn't tell them, uh, they couldn't do it. So it would be completely irrational to believe that Marr and Arnold and Scott and, uh, you know, the military as a whole participated in this. Everybody agreed that was the official story. So Rumsfeld was lying, Myers was lying, everybody was lying for almost three years, and telling this irrational lie because it made it, you know, made the conspiracy theorists uh, <laughs> say, uh, you know, you look like you guys were guilty of a stand down, where all they had to say was just tell the truth, and uh, it could, from the very beginning, been blamed entirely on the FAA. So, yes, the, the new story is completely absurd.
0: And the new story has been concocted, obviously, and simply to cover the fact that there was a military stand-down on September eleventh, two 2001. That is what this is all about, right?
2: Well, that's right. I mean, as I say, the timeline they had given that served as the official story for three years almost did make it look like I mean it was hard to interpret it any other way than as a stand down so uh so the new story is to remove any grounds for that suspicion and if you read these stories all the press stories about it it says you know conspiracy theorists have charged there was a stand down but uh now we know from the tapes and that's uh, you know now we know cuz the tapes are reliable the tapes can be absolutely trusted uh so now we know from the tapes that there was just mass confusion that day, both in the military and in the FAA, and that's why there were no interceptions. It was just that mass confusion.
0: I'm speaking with author and theologian Dr. David Ray Griffin. Today's show, The NORAD Audio Tapes, Real or Faked? I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, David, your article, 9-11 Live or Fabricated, Do the NORAD Tapes Verify the 9-11 Commission Report, this lengthy article that you have written, you have written mainly in response to a very lengthy and recent article that appeared in Vanity Fair magazine that was authored by Michael Bronner called 9-11 Live, the NORAD Tapes. What was your initial reaction to this lengthy article in Vanity Fair? I read it, and it sounded laughable to me.
2: Well, it is laughable. You know, if if you know anything about military procedure, if you know anything about uh, the level of uh, competence you must uh, prove to be a member of the FAA, the flight controllers, and all of this, the idea that that, that kind of total incompetence, that just suddenly on 9-11 they were all thumbs that's one level of uh, laughability. Beyond that, just the, uh, the contradictions with fact. And that's the other thing, besides the intrinsic implausibility of this story. What Bronner leaves out, and what the unknowing reader has no way of knowing, you know, unless they've read uh, my book or some other critique of the 9 11 Commission report, that there are just dozens of facts that Bronner just conveniently ignores. And when you look at some of those facts, you see that uh, that adds to the dubiousness of this new story, besides the fact that, uh, you know, we couldn't imagine the FAA to be that incompetent, and we couldn't imagine why the military would tell such an irrational lie. But also, there are all these other facts. For example, Let's just take the earlier story the military had told, let's say with Flight 175, the one that was uh, said to crash into the South Tower. NORAD earlier said that the FAA notified it about at 8, 8.43 about that flight being hijacked, or the new story is that they didn't know until 9.03, that is, when it crashed. So that's a 20-minute difference. Now, why in the world? If the truth was that the FAA didn't notify it until 9.03, why would they have said back on September 18th, 2001, and then continued to repeat for years after that, that they had been notified at 8.43? Secondly, Captain Michael Jelinek, who's a Canadian, who was in charge of the uh, NORAD at Colorado that day, there's a story in uh, a Canadian newspaper that reports that uh, he was watching Flight 175. See, allegedly, they didn't even know that 175 was uh, hijacked until after it had crashed. And yet the story says Jelinek was watching Flight 175 when it crashed into the South Tower of the World Trade Center. And that he was talking to people at NEADS. And that's what Bronner's story, of course, is all about, the uh, the workers on the floor at NEADS, the uh, northeast uh, sector of uh, NORAD, which is where all the action occurred on 9-11, that, that part of the country. And uh, Jelinek was on the, on the phone with somebody at NEADS, and uh, uh, Jelinek says, is that the flight you were watching? And the person at NEADS said yes. <laughs> so we have that contradiction. Furthermore, we have this report from Laura Brown, who is a communications person for uh, the FAA, And uh, she had written this memo that I cite uh, many times in my book. This is the most important memo. And she says that within minutes of the first attack on the World Trade Center, which, of course, was uh, about 8.43, uh, excuse me, 8.46, the FAA set up a phone bridge or teleconference with the military. And they hooked, uh, you know, five or six agencies together. She said that was within minutes, so that would mean at about 8.50. So, and that at that time, they talked about all flights of interest. So that at 8.50, the military would have known everything the FAA knew, and they agreed the FAA knew about Flight 175. They just didn't tell the military. So this says they would have had 13 minutes, which would have been plenty of time to intercept. So that's just about flight 175. If you go to the other flights, 77 and 93, you find even more contradictions between the new story and then facts that were well established in the record for several years and you know were the stuff of all the stories that uh, the newspaper. So it's very strange now that the press is just rolling over and saying, "Oh, you mean all those hundreds of stories we wrote in those years." They're all false. Okay, you know, as if that wouldn't be grounds for going in and doing real research and saying, well, now now why? You know, but everything hinges then on these recently released tapes And these tapes seem to show the new story is true, therefore the new story is true, so we can just get rid of all the contradictions that were told before. We can ignore all the evidence that seems to count against it. We can ignore the inherent implausibility of this new story. The new tapes say it, therefore it must be true.
0: David, let's talk about these new tapes, these NORAD tapes. And, of course, NORAD is the North American Aerospace Defense Command, when did these audio tapes first appear? And also, of course, the Vanity Fair article, 9-11 Live, the NORAD tapes. This whole article and this new story is based on supposed audio tapes that were made by NORAD.
2: On September
0: 11th. Exactly.
2: So it, the whole assumption is, of course, that they're authentic, that they were they were the actual tapes from that day which, uh and you asked then, when did they first become public? Yes. At the um, 9-11 Commission meeting and one of its meetings in 2004. So prior to that, there is not the slightest bit of evidence that these tapes existed. And in fact, there is evidence that they did not exist, that is, in their present form, because you know, Bronner reports that, the commission reports, 9-11 commission reports, that before Larry Arnold and Colonel Scott and Marr and the others testified to the commission, they reviewed the tapes. That that would have been in uh, 2003, probably, you know, April or May. And uh, they showed then no sign at that time, of uh, knowing any of this controversial stuff that's on the tapes. So in the 9-11 Commission, Richard Benvenista really took Larry Arnold to task. Now, Larry Arnold, you know, was a general. He was Mr. Big that day. He was in charge down in Florida. So he was in charge of NORAD for the continental United States. So, <laughs> so he's very big. And yet, he knew nothing about this so-called Phantom Flight 11. So Benvenista says to him, Well, when you testified to us back in 2003, you didn't tell us anything about Phantom Flight 11. And you told us that uh, when uh, when planes were scrambled from Langley at 924, Uh, They weren't scrambled for Phantom Flight 11. You didn't mention that. No, you let on that they were scrambled in response to word about, and here it gets fuzzy, that Arnold had said uh, it was word about Flight United 93, whereas Scott had implied that it was word about uh, Flight 77, and that was what was on the official NORAD timeline, that they scrambled in in response to uh, Flight 77. And then the 9-11 Commission said in its report, well, that was, you know, uh, almost 9:24, you know, over 10 minutes before the Pentagon was hit. And so that made it look like the military would have had time to stop the plane from hitting the Pentagon. So that's the story that has to be batted down. So that's the function that Flight 11 serves, Phantom Flight 11. And so Ben Vanista says, why didn't you tell us about Phantom Flight 11? Why did you let on that maybe we were, the military was responding to Flight 77, which gave this false impression that you, the military, could have intercepted, could have stopped the strike on the Pentagon? So when you read through all that, and poor Larry Arnold just says, well, gee, I just didn't remember. (laughs) That's, you know, totally beyond belief that he would have been told that Flight 11, you know, on 9-11, that they would have gotten word that Flight 11 really hadn't hit the World Trade Center, that the FAA had told it, that Flight 11 was still up, and then they scrambled these planes to go after this ghost. Can you imagine? I mean, he would have been so furious at the FAA, and that uh, when he gave his testimony less than two years later, He would have forgotten that whole episode, you know, totally beyond belief. And yet that's what we're supposed to buy here. So my point here is we have got very good evidence that in uh, 2003, these tapes did not exist in their present form. And uh, that's not the only fact that's on there. You know, the new fact, uh, the new stuff about Flight 93, which goes to the question, Did the military shoot down Flight 93? And by the way, that's Bronner's major emphasis. He was one of the producers, an assistant producer, I believe, for this movie, United 93, which tells the official story, according to the uh, 9-11 Commission report, which is that uh, the passengers and the terrorists who brought the plane down It clearly wasn't shot down. The movie ends. You know, the screen goes blank and then uh, it says the order to shoot down this flight or any other flight did not occur till 1018. In other words, 15 minutes after Flight 93 had collapsed, ergo, the audience is supposed to infer, the military could not possibly have shot it down. And of course, that ignores all the evidence. So it's not just about Phantom Flight 11. It's about these other flights, too. And all these things that uh, Larry Arnold and Colonel Scott and others are now being chastised for and even accused of lying about, they, we were told, listened to the tapes and, and then came in and told a story that could have been contradicted by the tapes. That would be completely irrational. They know the tapes exist. They know that what they said could be contradicted by the tapes if those tapes had existed at the time. So the idea that they would have listened to the tapes and then come in and told a very different story, that would have been irrational not only for the reason we mentioned before, (laughs) but also because they would have feared they would have gotten caught and therefore be uh, subject to military discipline and perjury for lying in public and so on. So, again, the whole story is uh, incredible.
0: I'm speaking with author and theologian Dr. David Ray Griffin. Today's show: The NORAD audio tapes, real or faked? I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, Michael Bronner, of course, is the author of this new Vanity Fair article, which is based on audio tapes that were supposedly recorded on September 11, 2001. By NORAD, and if you go on the Vanity Fair website, you can even hear clips from these tapes. What does the audio on these tapes say? What does it indicate
2: well it uh, it indicates these things that I've been saying that is that there was this mass confusion with the f a a the FAA failing to give notice about any of these slides. By the way, it's not just the NORAD tapes. As Bronner points out, they also have the FAA tapes, and uh, they played some snippets from those, too, at the 9-11 hearings, and those tapes showed the systematic incompetence within the FAA and the refusal of anybody in the FAA ever to call the military until it was too late actually, until the planes had uh, crashed in, in most cases, then see what makes this seem all the more convincing is that both of these sets of tapes agree. So this is why, you know, one can understand why the press, uh, <laughs> uh, we would think the press maybe should be a little skeptical. You know, they're skeptical when tapes come from other countries. But here's tapes from our own military, from our own 9-11 commission, from our own FAA, allegedly, And so they just assume, well, of course, these are authentic. Our own people wouldn't lie about this sort of thing. I mean, they must be authentic if the two sets of tapes agree with each other. So they've really presented a very strong case here, which, uh, unless it's challenged in an effective way, is going to convince people that this story is all over now. Now we know the truth. And uh, we can just go back to uh, our other work and give up the whole idea that maybe there was some sort of... Stand down, and uh, with the military being complicit in uh, the attacks on
0: 9/11. Now, David, you point out in your article that these FAA tapes were seized by the FBI one day after September 11th, and normally such tapes would have been given over to whom? The Transportation Authority?
2: Yeah, the National Board of Transportation, which are the normally the ones that investigate these kinds of things. Now, this uh, I learned by calling this Laura Brown I had arranged by email for uh, an interview with her and she gave me an interview about an hour one day she was at, it was sunday she was at home and was able to talk freely and she revealed a lot of interesting things and one of these was this fact that she said I don't remember if it was at the end of that day or the next day but immediately after 911 the FBI came in and demanded to have all their tapes from that day, and they were in the FBI's possession from then on. So people at FAA didn't even really get a chance to go back and listen to their own tapes. But the main point is they were in the hands of the FBI from 2001, September on. So if anybody is suspicious that the FBI would use its own labs to doctor tapes There was certainly plenty of time. There was three years, almost three years, before these tapes were played publicly for the 9-11 Commission.
0: Doesn't all of this raise the question, then, indeed suggest very strongly that the tapes, both sets of tapes, the NORAD tapes and the FAA tapes, are fake?
2: Yes, and many people would say, well, how could that be? And none of these stories have mentioned Something that is quite well known, which is now that the military intelligence agencies have the capacity for voice morphing. Now, digital morphing, the more generic term, that's pretty well known now, you know, uh, video morphing and photomorphing. So in the Tom Hanks movie, Forrest Gump, so in there, you know, Forrest Gump shakes hands with President Kennedy. Well, we're all very familiar with that now. So we know that seeing is no longer believing because all this amazing stuff can be done. But there's also voice morphing. And uh, back in 1999, two years before 9-11, an article in the Washington Post by William Arkin laid this out, what was possible already then. And he gave an example of a demonstration that he heard that uh, General Carl Steiner, who was former Commander-in-Chief of U.S. Special Operations Command, was heard making a statement that began, Gentlemen, we have called you together to inform you that we are going to overthrow the United States government. And if you had heard that voice, and if you had known Carl Steiner, you would have sworn he said that. And likewise, they heard the voice of Colin Powell saying, I'm being treated well by my captors. And of course, neither Steiner nor Powell had ever made those statements. But uh, as Arkin explained, then that uh, given these new technologies, these experts can clone speech patterns and develop an accurate facsimile, causing people to appear to have said things they would never otherwise say. Whereas in the early days, this produced rather robotic intonations, and you know the kind of thing you still sometimes hear on an elevator but now they've got the technology such that uh, it's almost perfect. It just sounds exactly like the uh, person. So this opens up this question. I mean, certainly it shows it is possible that these tapes, given the long period of time there, that the NORAD tapes were, of course, in the military's own hands, and the FBI had the FAA tapes. And so Both sets of tapes could have been put in the same laboratory and made to agree with each other. There's no technical impossibility that uh, these tapes are all fabricated.
0: Now, since the technology to fake such tapes, this uh, voice-morphing technology exists, and that's a fact, then if the tapes were indeed faked, there would have to be a lot of people who know all the people on the tapes, at a minimum. A few of these people appear in this Vanity Fair article. Would all of those people participate in such a lie?
2: Well, this is a, this is an interesting question, and uh, this brings us back to this fact, which uh, in many respects may turn out to be the most uh, damning fact about the news story, damning dimension of it is that now it is publicly recognized. It it is agreed that the military has lied. And this means that all the people... Okay, so let's say the news story is true. Take that as a hypothesis. That's what everybody does. Well, that means it wasn't just Larry Arnold and Colonel Scott and a few other people who lied. Everybody at NEADS would have known the story that... uh, Arnold and others put together after 9-11 was false, and none of them spoke up. They all silently participated in the lie, and some of them publicly. Some of them were interviewed, and they told stories that agreed with the story that was told in uh, the NORAD timeline. So now, if that whole story is a lie, then we already know that all those people are capable of, of participating in a lie, at least silently, by not challenging it. But now let's turn it around, and let's say the old story was true. Well, that means the the new story is false. So that means ever since the 9-11 Commission came out with the new story in 2004, two years ago almost, all these people have been acquiescing in the, the lie. So either way, you have no choice. You have to say the military, including all the, these nice people at NIAS <laughs> that Bronner tells his story about, and uh, frankly, one has to say the FAA, because they have remained silent, they have not, you know, other than for Laura Brown's memo, they have not publicly challenged this news story. So they are capable of lying. So one issue this brings up, of course, is if they were lying before, why should we believe them now? So, you know, if the new story is true, that means the old story was false. It was a lie. But if the old story was a lie, that doesn't necessarily mean the new story is true. Both could be lies.
0: Exactly.
2: So this is, I think, going to turn out, if we can get attention focused on this logical fact, and, you know, all the problems in this, that uh, there is simply no basis now for believing the military since they are now self-confessed liars, and now since they're telling a story that puts them in a better light than the old story, not a worse light. You know, if the if the new story was saying, oh, mea culpa, we really, we weren't nearly as good as we made ourselves out to be, then you might believe the new story. But if the new story is, oh, we lied before, and we made ourselves look worse than we were, now we're telling you the truth, and we're, gosh, we're completely innocent, we're not guilty of incompetence or complicity, uh, believe our new story. Why should we believe the new story? So this is quite an interesting development that has occurred and could lead uh, could be one of the things that leads to the unraveling in the public's mind, complete loss of confidence in the uh, official story.
0: Exactly. Plus, you also point out in your article that the people at needs, the northeast air defense sector of NORAD, these are all military people, so they take orders. That's right. You've also pointed out, David, in your article that the voice morphine capability, these people at needs would not have had to re-record their voice. This could have been done electronically without them actually being involved in it.
2: That's right. And, uh, you know, reading the story about these uh, wonderful people at NEADS, and I have no doubt that many of them are wonderful people, just doing their job but taking orders and uh, being afraid that they will be thrown in prison, or worse, if they, you know, speak up and and, and, uh, say anything about uh, the lie. Um, You know, it might be they could have gotten coerced into, you know, going in the sound booth and uh, recording all this new stuff, some of which is pretty ridiculous, you know, but just reading from the script. But that would be a level of participation in the lie that some of them might, might have balked at. And so there's no necessity to think they did that. You know, their voices are recorded, so all you need is a few minutes of somebody's uh, voice, and these technicians then can make them say virtually anything. And so um, these people didn't have to participate actively in it. Their share in the lie is simply keeping quiet. So uh, for many people, I think that will make it much more believable that all these people participated simply in kind of a A passive acquiescence.
0: Now these audio tapes, the NORAD tapes, they indicate when you listen to the audio that NORAD, the military, was not even notified of any of the hijackings until all of the planes had either hit their targets or crashed. And that's just simply not believable. Isn't it standard operating procedure that within one minute of something going wrong in a flight, That the FAA then contacts the military?
2: That's right. Yeah, you see, you have your regular standard signs of a plane being in trouble that it has gone off course radically, you've lost radio contact and can't get it back, or the transponder has gone off. In some of these cases, they hit the trifecta. You know, all three happened, and yet we're told they still didn't call the military. They would sit around debating. Hey, you think it's a hijack? Oh, I don't know. Do you think we ought to call the military? Gee, I don't know. You know, and these I say are highly professional people. We have records. We have the statements of FAA in the past. Many news stories that report that uh, they regularly perform this over a hundred times a year, and it wasn't just scramble orders; it was interceptions. So the whole thing happens. Uh, Mike Snyder said interceptions are routine. Uh, we have figures that even show that uh, some years there were maybe several hundred interceptions. So this is all very routine stuff, yes. So to to believe that suddenly on 9-11 they just couldn't bring themselves to call the military or, you know, they couldn't think straight or, you know, it's just, it's beyond belief, yes. So the tapes, I say, are just in, intrinsically incredible.
0: I'm speaking with author and theologian, Dr. David Ray Griffin. Today's show, The NORAD audio tapes: Real or Faked? I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Is there evidence from other sources for the response of the FAA that day? I mean, don't we have a lot of evidence that the FAA was right on top of things right from the very beginning?
2: Well, yes. Uh I point out in my book, there are so many facts that contradict uh, this. Uh, First of all, there were all these teleconferences going on, and in these, the FAA was uh, in constant communication. So let's take Flight 77. The uh, military story, what we now call the old story, was that uh, the FAA notified it at 924, about Flight 77. Laura Brown then, partly in response to that statement, did she send the memo to the 9-11 Commission, which said that was merely the formal notification time. And that's largely irrelevant because we were on the phone with them since about 8:50, in other words, more than a half hour earlier, talking about all flights of interest, including Flight 77. So we have that memo, and that memo was read into the 9-11 Commission report by Richard Benvenista.
0: And Flight 77, to clarify, is the flight that was supposedly headed for the Pentagon.
2: That's right. So this is big stuff. (laughs) And uh, so Richard Benvenista says, So we've got this testimony here from the FAA that there was informal notification of the military about flight 77 long before 924 but see when the 911 commission report then was put out in uh, 2004 under the direction of course of uh White House insider Philip Zelikow all that is deleted there's nothing about Laura Brown's memo there is nothing about Richard uh... reading it into the record there's nothing about his comment that now we have evidence <laughs> So, uh, and that's the same thing with these tapes. These tapes uh, don't reflect Laura Brown's memo. They reflect the 9-11 Commission report and vice versa. Got a lot of evidence that contradicts uh, this news story.
0: What about the video conference that was being run from the White House by Richard Clark that you talk about?
2: That's another one. And uh, here, let's go to Flight 93, again, the one that Bronner is most concerned about because he really wants to beat down this story that uh, the military shot down Flight 93. You see, the, uh, the scuttlebutt on this was that something had gone wrong with the plan, and maybe the plane was going to be landed safely, in which case <laughs> there you would have people on board who could testify to what really happened, which probably wasn't going to fit the official story. So the suspicion in the 9-11 Truth movement and many people in the movement has been that the military shot it down. And there was an enormous amount of evidence about this, evidence from people on the ground around Shanksville who heard the sounds of missiles, who saw debris coming out of the plane, who saw, you know, body parts and other debris being strewn all over the landscape and in the lake there. Uh, an engine that uh, fell off the plane, which is precisely what a heat-seeking missile would do, you know, aim towards the engine and knock uh, the engine off almost what a mile from the official crash site and so on. So an enormous amount of physical evidence and furthermore, testimonial evidence. So you had people in the military said, we heard that uh, we shot down this plane in Pennsylvania and several people in the military, even Rumsfeld once slipped evidently and talked about the plane that was shot down in Pennsylvania. And then there were these stories. And so, according to Bronner and according to the tapes, the military was not even in position to shoot it down because obviously it didn't know about it. And yet, we had this story put out by the U.S. Air Force, written by a guy named Filson, called Air War Over America. And he quotes Marr and uh, Arnold in there saying, Yeah, we were in position. And if Flight 93 kept going towards Washington, we were going to shoot it down. We had hot planes, planes armed. We were going to shoot it down. (laughs) So now all that is said to be a big lie. We even had Paul Wolfowitz, Deputy Defense Secretary, saying the military was trailing Flight 93 and was in position to shoot it down. So this is what I mean. There's so much external evidence that contradicts this new story.
0: Exactly, and this video conference that was being run from the White House was attended by the head of the FAA, Jane Garvey.
2: This uh, Here you, you see the deviousness of the 9-11 Commission. They claimed, well, there was this conference, but they couldn't figure out who from the military was participating in it. Is that not the most ridiculous claim, that they couldn't just walk over to the military, to the National Military Command Center, and say, okay, on 9-11, who was participating? In Dick Clark's video conference, they say, we never could figure out who it was. Well, Dick Clark says very clearly in his book who it was. It was Donald Rumsfeld and General Myers. In other words, the two biggest honchos. And uh, the 9-11 Commission says that, well, one problem with these teleconferences is the right people weren't involved. Well, here you had the head of the FAA and the two heads, the you know civilian and military head of the Pentagon, if those weren't the right people. And then Dick Clark uh, reports that Jane Garvey, in giving her report, said, well, we've got uh, several problematic planes, and uh, Flight United 93 is a possible hijack over Pennsylvania. So right there, according to Richard Clark, Myers and Rumsfeld both heard about Flight 93, and yet the new story being told by the 9-11 Commission, and now by Brawner, and being accepted, bought hook, line, and sinker by the New York Times, is that uh, the military couldn't have possibly shot down Flight 93 because it didn't even know that Flight 93 was a possible hijack.
0: And also, what about the evidence that came out of the existence of military liaison to the FAA?
2: That's right, and that's another thing that the FAA pointed out in its testimony to the commission. One guy says, look, I'm not being defensive here, it's just a fact. There is a military liaison with us there in the FAA, so that everything we know, the military knows. So, you know, we don't even need a teleconference. These guys got their own phones. They're in contact back with headquarters all the time, so... Uh, the whole idea that the military didn't know is uh, is an enormous lie.
0: Another point is that there's lots of evidence that the FAA knew what it was doing and the military was in contact with the FAA. What about the Secret Service and uh, Vice President Cheney's public statement about the Secret Service and their involvement on September 11th?
2: Well, that's right. It's not just the military liaisons, but it's also the Secret Service who also have their own means of knowing what's going on. And one of those means is that they see everything that the FAA sees on their radar. And Cheney started to say that in public and then caught himself. But we know this from other sources, too. Richard Clark uh, reported in his book that the uh, Secret Service knows everything the FAA knows. So everybody knew whatever was going on that day. And, see, the Secret Service also has the power, over Washington at least, to scramble airplanes. In fact, uh, it said they did that day, that the first planes that went up were actually scrambled by the Secret Service. So, uh, you know, the idea that uh, because the FAA screwed up, nobody knew that planes were coming to uh, New York and Washington is just absurd for so many reasons.
0: Now, David, the fact that all of this documentation is in the public domain, that the FAA and the military and the Secret Service and the White House and the Department of Defense were all in communication with each other from the very beginning, that is pretty much proof right there that these audio tapes, these supposed audio tapes from the FAA and NORAD are fakes.
2: Well, that's right. I say we've got so many lines of evidence that suggest that they are fakes, that uh, the fact that they have just been so quickly accepted without any critical scrutiny whatsoever so far is really beyond belief. But that's the condition we're in in this country, where The mainstream press simply abdicates its responsibility to show proper skepticism and really do serious investigation about stories like this that are so convenient. You have to remember here, people would say, gee, come on, would they go to all that work? Well, think about what we're talking about here. We're talking about an operation which has, just in pure monetary terms, We're talking about already hundreds of billions of dollars that have been poured into the military-industrial complex on the basis of 9-11. We're also talking about two wars that have been launched and others that probably would have been launched already if uh, these wars had gone better. Also, we we are talking about treason. We're talking about mass murder. So if this alternative theory is right about what really happened on 9-11, then the Bush administration, the military, and uh, military intelligence in particular, there would be no limits to what they would do in terms of expenditure of time, technology, money, coercion, to uh, get the story so that it looks like. That the military is completely blameless and is not guilty for treason, murder, and so on.
1: There's
0: I've been speaking with author and theologian Dr. David Ray Griffin. Today's show has been the NORAD audio tapes, real or faked. David Ray Griffin has written three important books on the subject of September 11th. The New Pearl Harbor, Disturbing Questions About the Bush Administration and September 11th. The 9-11 Commission, Omissions and Distortions, A Critique of the kane zelikow Report. And his most recent, Christian Faith and the Truth Behind 9-11, which has been described by reviewers as the best book yet on September 11th. Griffin is also co-editor of a volume of essays, 9-11 and American Empire, Intellectuals Speak Out, which features, in addition to himself, authors Karen Kwiatowski, Stephen Jones, Kevin Ryan, Peter Dale Scott, Danielle Ganser, Morgan Reynolds, Richard Falk, John McMurtry, Ola Tunander, and Peter Phillips. David Ray Griffin's books are available at Amazon.com. Today's program was produced by researcher Todd Fletcher. Guns and Butter is edited and produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yaromako. Mako. Our engineer is Bonnie Bone. To leave comments or order copies of the show, call 510-848-6767, extension 628. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.net or visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.net
1: Wake up and take control of your own cypher And be on the lookout for the spirit sniper Trying to steal your life You know what I'm saying? Look what inside yourself For peace, give thanks, live life, and release You dig me? You got me?